going on? Welcome to Totally Blitz Podcast. We got a special episode for y'all today. As always, go down, like, and subscribe, and comment to the episode. As always, these are your hosts. I'm Paul. Pick a winner, Concha, and I'm joined with... Hey, man. You already know it's your kid boy, Kev. Water boy, boy, a.k.a. the Street Fight Enthusiast, a.k.a. the dude on the screen right now. And, Paul, man, please do the honors of introducing our guest today. Very special guest. It's been a long time coming, but I'm just so happy for this episode. We have 10 and 6 pro MMA fighter, the number one ranked bantamweight out of the state of Tennessee, dealt Bellator's newest signed demon, the one-eyed dragon, Dre Miley. What's up, guys? What's going on? Oh, man, just chilling, just living. How you been? I've been good. I've been busy. It's been a busy weekend. We had some fights go down last night. So that's what I've been back there doing, helping people warm up and stuff like that. So finally get a chill day to relax. Nice. This was a crazy ass weekend for fights. You had the Bellator card. You had the Ryan Tank versus Garcia card. You had, there was even um, a Daz, uh, the zone card. And I want to say there was one more MMA card with the Fury FC and stuff like that. Which There's was it? Did you just catch the Bellator card, or did you may check any of the other um, stuff out too? Well, like besides watching my teammates fight last night, uh, I was really hipped on um, Bellator. I was I was really invested into the Stotts and Mix fight, and I was the Sabatella fight. So I was the ones I was really looking forward to. So watching them, I didn't really get to watch anybody else. I watched the uh, on the way home. We watched. Uh, the last little bit of the Ryan Garcia and Tank fight. And I was like, man, that kind of kind of happened too fast because I, I didn't yeah. see the body shot. I didn't see the body shot. And, like, I had to rewatch it. We rewatched that part, like, three times. And we were all sitting in the car. I was like, oh, it was a body shot. It was a very sneaky body shot. Shut up, man. So, mm-hmm. But I've never watched any Bellator, really. I've kind of caught in some on some nights when there's, like, no UFC going on. But everybody on Twitter is talking about that, uh, about Mix. That's his name, correct? The Mix, the dude that yeah. just won the MP. What's, what, was that, what was so significant about that fight? He knocked uh, Hafian out. Like, mm-hmm. it was, they it get was in there, they, they touch up a little bit, and he throws just a regular, just a straight punch, and then he throws a opposite knee and catches Hafian on his uh, chin just drops him and that was the fight that was it it was that, fast it was, it was a fast fight crazy you say before that you thought uh bellator uh not even just because they signed you or anything but just all around you just enjoy watching bellator more than ufc it is because uh you said because it was more electric like the, the fights are more exciting yeah no one fights to hold their spot they fight because that's what they want to do they fight because they love it they fight because of the competition You'll see, you know, you can get cut anytime, anytime. And then, you know, you're stuck waiting in the wings, fighting on local shows because you're just another body to them. It seems like it seems like I could be wrong, but Bellator, every single person from champion all the way down to entry level, like they're coming to fight. Like there's no one's patty caking. And well, let's see what this person's going to do. It's like, nope, I'm going to do my game plan. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I'm going to do it. And I like that. And then I also like how the way they they take care of their fighters and stuff. So having the privilege of going there twice with one of my teammates, you know, seeing how they protected people and they made you feel like it didn't matter who you was. Like it was your first fighter. It was, you know, their their champion. They're going to treat you the same. 
like that family aspect to me was like, yeah, that's, that's where I want to be. I just don't want to be another employee, you know, on a conveyor belt for you. Like, treat me like I'm special. That's fire, man. Hey, and yeah. uh, I had a question about, because uh, I know you did the regional scene. You fought off in Virginia. You fought um, Tennessee. But when you're doing the regional scene, when you go out um, to your fights, is it like a similar to like NFL and college sports where like someone's like, hey, someone who represents UFC or Bellator or one is like, it's going to be in the crowd tonight uh, to put on a show. Like, is it like stuff like that? Or is it just like your team making calls and connections and like your name kind of gets heard through the windmill every now and then? Or like, how, how's that go from going from the regional scene to signing your contract? It's more so the latter. It's more your coaches and team putting you out there and, you know, getting your name out there as you fight and do all these things. Because nowadays you don't have to have a good record. You just have a good selling pitch and you have to be marketable. That's all it is nowadays. So all these guys going 5-0, and oh, it's kind of smart. But at the same time, when you get to that level, you're going to get exposed and you've just padded another person's record. So... It, I wish it was like that. Now, there's a few instances where, like, Dana White will show up at a fight, but, like, he only operates in certain areas, and that's where his favorite guys are. He won't come out. He won't come down south. It's so weird. It's like Tennessee is Tennessee and Georgia and South Carolina and other southern states. It was such a hotbed for MMA that you're missing a lot of talent because you're so worried about the new England boys and stuff like that. And worry about people in California. It's like, there's a South South is bumping when it comes to fighting. You hear that, Dana, we need you in the trenches. You're not going to where the real fighters be. All right. Come over, come on down South real quick, Dana. (laughs) Dana don't want, he don't want, he don't want no country boys and no dudes that know how to fight who have been fighting their whole lives. Come over and embarrass a new England dude. Ain't going to happen. They ain't gonna embarrass a California dude either. That's why no one's getting picked up at UFC unless it's some teammate of another person or a management of another person. It's like, no, no, that's terrible. It's so terrible. That's some real shit. I love to hear it from your point of your point of view and your perspective. I feel like a lot of people wouldn't hear that. Man, because it, it is. And it's and like I tell people all the time, like it's not necessarily about what you do, it's who you know. And it's if your people can get you there, but it's not, it's not reputable people. Like my team could get me there, but let's say some big management company comes in and they start brown nosing. They're like, oh, we're going to take this person instead. It's like, you got a guy that's, you can make things happen, but yeah, you want to take this guy because he's familiar because, of, you know, he comes from a familiar place. It's like, it's stupid. That's fine, man. But truthfully, when it comes to you, just your nickname alone is crazy fire, One-Eyed Dragon. But you're probably setting up to have one of the best documentaries, at least one of the best documentaries, definitely better than a lot of 30 for 30s out here right now, for a lot of the stuff that you do in your career, the adversity that you face. So could you, like, tell us about your introduction to the MMA and, like, your journey so far in your career? Uh, well, I found MMA when I was, like, 18, well, going on 19. Uh, I had a car wreck when I was 17, and that's how I lost my eye. And then, like, I went through modes of depression. I went through a lot of stuff. I was in a deep, dark place. I didn't want to do anything. My family around me was like, you need to get out and do something. You know, old grandparents, southern grandparents don't like you sitting still too long. So That's real. Yeah. My grandparents were like, you need to get out the house. That's exactly what they said. You need to get out the house and go find something to do. So I was like, all right. 
found UFC because I was watching it on TV and there was a show that came on. Uh, they were doing some kind of promo work for like local Knoxville fights and stuff like that. And my teammate Ovance popped up and I was like, that dude's from Knoxville? I was like, yeah, it's not that far, blah, blah, blah. All right, so I Googled it. Next thing you know, I'm there and I'm training with this guy. You know, it's not one of those things where he's untouchable. It's one of those things you like, nope, you got to mess with him. Like, you got to train. So at that point, I liked it. I didn't ever intend on fighting until, like, my coach was like, hey, would you want to do this? Because I was there for right about six, eight months. And my coach was like, hey, would you want to fight? Blah, blah, blah. I was like, ah, maybe. And I gave it a try. And then next thing you know, I'm fighting. I love it. And then off to the races after that. Now I look back on it, it's almost 20, 20 fights. I have 16 pro fights and at least six pro six amateur fights. And I've never looked back on it. Nice. Was there um when you were getting into the MMA world and everything, was there like a welcome to the MMA world moment for you? Where like someone puts you on your ass and you're like, oh shit, like or is like anything like that where you're just like hold like hold on like there's levels to this I I just realized it. Well, like when I first started, it was like the wild wild west of MMA. It was like the beginner, so there's hardly no structure in any gyms. You just go in there and just beat the hell out of each other. Uh, and good old days. Everything's gonna start changing until well, it didn't start changing until like I started hitting like. I will say the fight that made it realize that, like, okay, I have to change everything. And that was the Cody Durden fight. Like, I was good. I was like, man, I'm on a roll. I changed some things around, blah, blah, blah. But it was the first fight where I was like, somebody is going to get signed here. And it that was the one fight everybody was getting broadcast. Like, hey, they watch these two because these are the two up-and-comer guys. And they build it like that. And, you know, me and him had a very hard first round. Beat him up the first round. Second round, he came out and beat me. I was just like, this will never happen again. I was like, this, I will not get embarrassed like that. So ever since then, I was like constantly hunting for that, like up going up that level. So, no, I mean, I even know, know the so. Cody Durden name in the UFC. Um, he's, he's the guy in the UFC, correct? Cody huh? Durden? Yep, that's him. He's fighting Charles Johnson. Oh, yeah. Oh, but about you, I know, I mean, I see it on Twitter. I even I even tweeted it myself to try to help you out, but, like, the Bellator guys that you've been calling out, um, you said that you've had a lot of verbal agreements with people. Uh, it's just now trying to find mm-hmm. a fight car to get on, and I think today or yesterday you are pitching for UFC Chicago. Uh, not UFC, my bad, Bellator Chicago. Which is gonna be the um the pitbull mm-hmm. fight up there the Yoel Ramiro co- uh, main event um how's that like um is is your fight coming up soon is he here any like talks or anybody like how's that go do you have to wait for Bellator to reach out to you and be like we have a spot for you or is it um how how's that going I have to wait on pretty much have to wait on Bellator to say yes or no so. If they're on board with it, because they were, and, you know, I think at one point they were really, really considering me coming down to Hawaii and fighting because they was looking for somebody. They really was, and they couldn't find anybody. So I think Chicago might happen. I'm not going to not gonna hold my breath on it. I would love to fight in Chicago because, one, I've always wanted to, like, go there and explore. But that's at the same time, it's like two of my favorite grapplers 
Well, one of my favorite grapplers was fighting, and one of like one of the cool dudes that I look I like is there, Corey Anderson and Phil Davis. That's the fight I like. I want to see up and close in person because I've always followed Phil Davis's stuff. Like I've actually met him before in person. You know, and he's a pretty cool dude, and Corey Anderson's a pretty cool dude. So I was like, man, but watching them two like work and train, it's like, man, that's man, I gotta I gotta pick their brains. I gotta see what's going on here. So. But yeah, I mean, Chicago would be dope, you know, and I think Danny Sabatello is trying to get on that card too. So like you put me and Danny Sabatello on there, you know, that's, you're drawing a massive crowd at that point. Cause like you got this dude that's a shit talker and you got him coming in and he's already built himself as that person. And then you got this new guy coming in who has like, you know, one eye and they're like, holy shit, what's going on at Bellator? You know, so that and, you did say you, you like know to talk happen. yourself. Are you a little bit of a shit talker? Oh, 100%. 100%. I do it all the time at the gym. Like, it gets to the point where people do it to me first because I can't pick at them. So, like, and that's everybody's thing is, like, shit talking to me because they'll know I don't take it seriously, but I will go back and forth with them. I do it. I've done it in the past three fights of mine. Like, I've literally talked to everybody in the cage. I've talked to my oh. coaches. I've talked to my opponent. I've talked to the ref. Start pouring out. I told one of my opponents, just... like, he hit me. Yeah. Yeah, I've done that, too. Uh, one of my opponents, he hit me, and uh, he, like, low-blowed me. And, like, you know, we're talking and all this stuff. Actually, I've done it probably. Yeah, I've done it in most of my fights. Uh, <laughs> but this one, he hit me, right? He was like, man, I'm sorry. I said, like, dude, you're going to owe me a beer after this. Like, say it out loud. <laughs> And the judge and the ref was like, if you can talk, you can fight. I was like, man, I'm fine. He just that that just sucked a little bit. Uh and then I had one when I fought Jose Johnson. And there was the middle of the second round. Like he he pokes me in the eye, you know, he's doing it over and over again. And the ref's telling him to stop. And one of his fingers just catches my eye. And, you know, we're getting all broke up. There's a lot of chaos. And next thing you know, me and him are like walking towards the middle, like getting ready to fight each other again without the judge, without the ref being there. I'm talking trash to him. And his corner is talking trash to me. And he's like, oh, he ain't got nothing on you. He doesn't want to strike with you, blah, blah, blah. And like Johnson's like motion down to, my, to his leg saying, take him. I was like, I was like, your boy can't stop my wrestling. I was like, that's, yeah, that's all I got because he can't stop anything else. So I'm going to put him back down, like saying yeah. this out loud. And, you know, I like having fun. But shit talking is so necessary in sports. I think God blessed me with weak bones because of how much shit talking I would be. Like, I literally just sprayed my ankle crossing the street on last Monday. <laughs> like, Man. <laughs> so, like, who are some of your favorite shit talkers? Me, I'm a big Muhammad Ali fan. I love the rock. Like, who are some of your favorite shit talkers just in all the sports? Uh, if I'm trying to have fun and like trying to goof off, I'll use Muhammad Ali. Like, cause like how he does it in the in the ring was so funny to me. Uh, I wish that like he, I wish it like they had a mic'd up version of it sometimes, cause you know he be getting in people. But like the press conferences, oh yeah. Let's see him, Michael Jordan after watching the last dance because he would do it to his teammates and help everybody out. And then here's a curveball. My my like number one dude, he's like right up there with Muhammad Ali is Macho Man Randy Savage. Just watching the promos he does, the promos he does, 
like he's like the best shit talker. Like I was talking to one of my friends, like the props he would come out with. Like he had like a coffee creamer cup. So like he was the cream of the crop. He called one dude trash and like end up pulling a trash can out from other. I was like, that's that's at a level. It's like that's that's how you do it. It's like it's it obviously it's fake, but at the same time, it's like I know shit talk when I hear it. No, that's it, that's the top right there. It's a lost what art. W all WWE people could cut some of the best promos and it would come off authentic, real, funny, hit all the points. But like it's a lost art. Macho Man is the slept on. I I don't think I've ever got that answer. That's a great one. Cause I mean everybody says the rock. You know, the rock is great at it, but people forget and he and rock actually admits this he missed that he got his promo work from macho man oh shit yeah so he watched everybody do promos like that at a young rock show that he had he talks about it. he's like i was watching other people he grew up around everybody which is crazy like he was there around everybody coming up so like he got to see the macho man and honky tonk and all those other guys talking but then like he's like macho man was like the perfect dude it's like just he lived his character. He talked just talk, and it was like he believed it so much. I was like, "That's that's shit talking at its best, right there." Like you can't talk. Facts. <laughs> that. right, so that's fine, man. I'm glad that we can all see. I feel like my one of my rules in life is that like for me to really mess with you, you had to have watched WWE as a kid. Like coming up as a child, like even when I found out it was fake, I still went back to go watch the promos. And you can't tell me the things that Jeff Hardy was doing was fake. Like you can't tell me anything. Oh no. Like one of one. They said, yeah, yeah. They said that the slams and like spots that they do were real, like jumping off the ladder and you know spearing each other through cages and shit. Like that's real, like all that's real. But they said like the punches and stuff, it ain't real. <laughs> but there's some that you see that are real because like they call them like potatoes or whatever. And like if someone like yeah, if someone gives you a potato, you gotta give them like a receipt. So they, like, they know the receipt is coming. And it's like pretty much if you took like a stiff punch, like a hard punch, and they're like, all right, I'm going to get this dude next. And you see him like go like really hard on them. Some of it gets real. Like some of it, like, they actually end up fighting. Like it's crazy. Yeah, I've heard yeah, that's that's people are hard to work with because all they throw is like I hear Brock Lesnar currently. He's he still got his MMA days where he be throwing some stiff ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he threw one on Braun Strowman one time. I forget what it was, but Braun like do like a hard punch or something, and you see Lesnar just cracking with a hard cross. I was like, Whoo. I was like, that's a different man right there. Because if anybody else had ate that, he'd have been asleep. So Braun Strowman is that is a big old boy, but Brock is not a joke. Brock, no. Brock don't play games at all. So you say that you coached. Um, I heard that you coach high school wrestling. What's your background in wrestling like, and how's it, how's it as being a coach? Uh, coaching. I've been coaching for about eight years, I think. Yeah, about eight years. Oh, shit. Um, yeah. So before, like, I started like getting heavy into pro career. Like, I was always teaching and helping classes and stuff like that. So that was already hands on with that. Um, yeah, I started really gravitating towards wrestling. Like, I never wrestled. I didn't wrestle in high school and nothing like that. Like, I always messed around with my cousins and stuff. But everything I learned through wrestling is through my coach. You know, my coach is always like, you have a wrestling background. Like, you don't know it. You probably should have wrestled. He was like, always give me, like, wrestling things. Like, here, add this to your game. And it, and it works. So, like, now I'm able to talk wrestler to, like, the other wrestler kids that come in. So we have a lot of them at, you know, the gym at KMA. 
where the other coach was like, I can't answer a wrestling question, so I, I'll send you to Dre. It's just like, okay. And I'm like, boom, boom, boom. And he's like, oh, this is just like how we did in blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, it's the total same thing. It's like, totally forget about pins here. It doesn't work. And like, next thing you know, they just start steamrolling. So nice. Yeah. Wow. But how, yeah, how I got to the bearding thing, man, I was just one of the guys who came in. He moved down and he was like, man, I need help from like, I just got this wrestling job. I need help assisting. It's like, do you know anybody? And I was like, I mean, I'll be open to it. You know, I don't, you know, have anything really going on. I would love to. Wouldn't want to get into that teaching role more, anyways. So he's like, all right. So next thing you know, steamroll ahead and I'm coaching, you know, high school wrestling stuff, showing them things. And, you know, it was crazy. It was, it's been fun. It really has been fun. Uh, that's Paul can attest to me. So Paul, Paul, I've known Paul since high school. So he can really attest to my like journey as a rest as a wrestler. I remember I originally got came into high school five two ninety five pounds. And it was pretty small. And then like the football coach just gave me. He was like, "Man, I don't think you should play football. Like wrestling would be really nice for you. You don't know how to shut up, and you always active and stuff like that." So like I never took it serious until like I met like a really really like a mile my, my coach sophomore year. Cause I actually had quit wrestling in a sense. Cause I used to just have to babysit my brothers after the school. So I met my mm-hmm. coach like sophomore year, and he took he made me take it the full way serious. He sponsored all of my tournaments. He bought me new wrestling shoes. He literally picked me up at five in five in the morning every Saturday. Paul can tell you because I used to get in trouble because I would go to parties Friday night. So like five in the morning, I'm literally leaving his house like maybe like at twenty minutes before. Like yo, my coach is about to be here in like forty minutes. I gotta go. Like, <laughs> dang. But they were like. But, like, he made me take it more serious. He took me to tournaments. He was the one taking me, like, to national qualifiers and shit like that. And then I started building into my frame. So, like, now I'm no longer the short, small kid. Like, I'm the tall, lanky 106 that can barely make weight. And we're looking like, Mm -hmm. yo, how did he know that was going to happen? Like, you feel me? So, but my favorite people were, like, the coaches. Like, I had a coach named Trey. And Trey looked like he went to the school. Like, Trey was, like, our size. But he used to, again, he would literally come find me because, like, I'd be posted up with the homies chilling. And the next thing, they'd be like, come on, time to go to practice. And there's a dude that looks like he's a sophomore grabbing my ass. <laughs> so That's... how do you interact with the um, with the students and um with the students and the wrestlers, like especially at their mind at um at such a young age when they do need to focus and they do need to get their minds right to be successful? Well, I treat them just like I would, you know, the fighters, but not so not so strict. Like I'm very upfront about everything. You know, I'm I'm that dude. So like if. If I was in the school, I'll, I'd be that coach for you, like, picking you up, like, hey, you need to get to practice, so on and so forth. And, like, they look at me, they're like, they couldn't believe how old I was. I was like, no, I'm not that old. But, like, wrestling with them and then, like, teaching them certain things and showing them certain things. And when they found out that I fall, they was like, oh, that's pretty awesome. And, I'm, you know, I'm very hard. I'm not very hard on them. I'm just like, hey, I need you to do this because this is going to help you do this. Like, I'm very direct and very big on like meditation and visualization and stuff like that with them. And they like, they really like that. They say it eliminated all the anxiety and nerves and stuff. I'm like, and I tell them all the time, I said, dude, have fun. Like there's few of them. I got a few that will like, they'll grab me and wrestle with me if they don't have a partner. Like they'll literally make me wrestle with them. I was like, dude, I can't wrestle with y'all like this. He's like, come on, Coach Ray. He's like, I need, I need this. Cause you're the only one that's going to push me. I was like, all right, fine. And so, we do that, and then since I'm the I'm a trash talker, 
it has bled into them now. <laughs> so they know if I if I say no, they'll trash talk me into it. So therefore I have to back it up. I'm like, okay, now I have to do it. And at one point we're all just wrestling and talking trash to each other. And it's just it's like it's a lot. It, it really is. It's pretty fun at the same time. Sounds like a shit ton of fun, man. If them boys don't appreciate it, man, or this shit gets hard some days, I appreciate you. Cause I know if I didn't have coaches like that pushing me, I would not be where I'm at today. Yeah, they ask me a lot where I'm at. So like we're in the off season and weightlifting, and they're asking like, "Where are you? When are you coming back? When are you coming back?" So I do this off season. Like you used to have the other coaches there. So yeah, but you you do the things differently. You like to goof off, and you know everything's like not so serious. I was like, eh, I'll be there next time. So nice. Uh man. As, as dope as you be coach and like are you so do you currently still coach while you're um training like if you have a uh, fight camp coming up like would you still be coaching or are you just more like when fight camp comes just all about fight camp and also like how much weight uh, do you have to cut weight or are you always ready like if, it, if it's a week notice would you be ready to get in there or do you need like to get down to band and weight i have to cut down the band and weight but the way I train and the way I keep my body is that I can drop it anytime. And if like you tell me, and I had, I had the weird thing is I could do a hard diet for like two weeks. And I don't mean like starving myself. Like all I gotta do is just clean up my diet and my weight just drops like that. So right. it's, it's, it's weird. Cause like you're literally staying ready the entire time and I don't have to worry about, Oh shit, I'm over this way. I'm here. I'm like, no, nope. Just let me hit this diet for two weeks. I'm good to go. Or if it's a week, I'll start that diet. I'll run all the kinds because I'm very, very active, you know, with the gym and, you know, kids and stuff. But, yeah, I only have to cut. And if I like if I'm not in fight camp, I'm walking around like 155. Like I don't get too high. I try not to get too high because it doesn't make sense to get to a ridiculous amount of weight and cut it. <laughs> not like no, uh, patty a, you're not you're not eating everything i eat but like my body and my body will tell me okay you need to stop you need to stop being such fat ass like you need to stop eating <laughs> this stuff like my body will it, it's done it before it's like literally rejected food before not like to like make me throw up but it's like rejected to like you don't need this like yeah. don't eat that mm-hmm. yeah so that and then far as fight camp like i never know when fight camp happens because we're i'm always training at like a level anyways so i'm always constantly just working and working and working um so i'm always teaching classes like uh my first class i teach is kids mma or uh, kids jujitsu so teaching kids class and then maybe do jujitsu teach jujitsu and then i go train so like i'm constantly doing something something either physical or something mental so i'm always getting that training in because when you teach you still have to you still have to think about the moves and how you're going to communicate it effectively and you know shorthandedly so that way other people can understand it so no that makes nice. sense uh, let me see oh so this is the question i spoke before so let's say you you just got done training you're gonna go probably go home cracking Ragnarok or Ghost or something you're about to play. Mm-hmm. Preferred drink of choice, if it have to be if it, a beer or liquor, what would you, which one are you grabbing? 
Oh, it's got to be a beer. I can't do liquor unless it's the weekend. I can't do it. I can't do it on the weekday. And if it's a beer, what's your, what's your favorite ice cold one? Probably Yingling. Mm. Yingling's nice. Oh, wow. That's actually brewed where uh, yeah. I live in Tampa where it's brewed, so it's actually really cheap over here. Well, see, so I have to go down there. My wife's from Tampa, so we have to, have to figure that oh. out. I'm, I'm surprised she ain't told me that. I know. I have to get on to her yeah. when I get up here. Well, well, damn, yeah, I'm about to do that. Yeah, no, hey, you every out here, especially. Uh, I know, um, I think Bellator's done an event over here before. I could be wrong, but even if it does in the state, let me know, bro. There you go, but man. If yeah. we have if they ever do a show in Florida, oh my god, I would I could bring a crowd down there. Oh, I'd bring I'll definitely go 100. If you do a show in Florida. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my dad's side of the family lives down that way. So he lives in Georgia, and some of them still live in Florida. So, yeah, that'd be ridiculous. Nice. I'm out here in Gainesville, Florida. That's why I came with the Gator stuff. I see you guys were up in Tennessee last interview. I was like, hold on, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'll beat us this year, but next year we got you. (laughs) That's fine. My middle child and my oldest child, they're Tennessee and Florida fans. My middle child, he's a Gator fan, like through and through. And my other child, he's a he's a ball fan, so that's always fun. Whenever those two start going off on each other, I'm like oh, we're not great. watching football in this house this week. I'm not doing it. I'm not <laughs> hearing you argue. I'm not hearing arguments. No, that's you, awesome. You said that you was playing football before you got into MMA and everything. What was your uh, team back in the day? Like, were you a Titans fan? Oh no, I was a Ravens fan. Oh. I still am. Big Lamar, you hoping they pay Lamar? Yeah. I was a Ravens fan. I Ravens. love Ed Reed, Ray Lewis, uh, Jamal Lewis when he was there because he was a Tennessee dude. He, good lord, there was a lot. Shannon Sharp was on there. There's a lot of people on that on that squad. It was ridiculous. Ravens had some hitters. They had they had um like what did, how many running backs did they have? They had Willis McGahee. They had um, they had Ray Rice. Oh my gosh, Ravens had some. They had. Yeah, they did. They had a lot of people. Terrell a Suggs. lot of people. Yep. And, and they had some clean uniforms, the purple and black. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the purple jersey with the black pants. Yeah, I was like, ooh. <laughs> no, I was like, mm, I was ever, like, you can't beat that. No, nah, for real. Did you ever play football or did you just like, was it just backyards? No, I played. Uh, I played high school. I didn't want to play I didn't want to play high school football. I really wanted to run track because I really liked it. Uh, so when I moved up here from living in Houston with my mom, because I played I played football down in Texas, and that's a different animal than anywhere. Them right. boys are fast. Them, yeah, they were fast. So when I moved up here, I was already amongst the fastest in Texas, anyways. But then, like when I moved up here, everybody was like very slow, and I was like, "This is a lot." It's like it's very slow, so I played, and you know, once we, I was getting, I was doing my part. I was like, oh shit, I can really go somewhere with this. I was doing good. I totally invested in the football, you know, and then the car wreck happened. I caught a lot of publicity because my dad played for UT, and he's like a big hero over here. So it was, it was a lot. It really was a lot playing football, but I don't think I was designed to play football at all. So I this felt that. Uh, ass in the cage. Mm, yeah. I, felt, I felt that. My bones is 
I'm glad I never played more than like two or three seasons of football because I probably really would have got because I just get hurt doing everything nowadays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I know that um, that's a pretty tough thing to deal with. It's like just the whole situation getting into a car accident. You know, you're doing, you're going somewhere. What is it like just coming back from something like that? What is that? Adver- the adversity that you have to face is something different. And you were 17 at the time. Like, really, that's like the end of the world in a sense. Like, but you're here, you're fighting. Like, what was that like? It was hell. Like, it was really hell on earth. Like, you just, you were lost. You didn't know what to do. Like, I had locked myself in a room for about at least two, three months. I would come out to eat, come out and, you know, see the people that I wanted to see. But other than that, I was in my room. Like, like you couldn't get me out. The the room was complete bitch, pitch black. I was – all I wanted to do was play video games and just be away from everybody. Because they just told me, like, you're never going to see again. And then, like, sure enough, like, I didn't go to school for, like, the last few months of the season. This happened in January. Like, it happened, like, January 24th, and we graduated that May. So I didn't go to school all the way until May. And people was worried about me and stuff like that. And I was just like, I, I couldn't function. I couldn't sit up and take class because I was on so much pain medication. I couldn't stand looking at people because the one meeting that I had with my coaches, it was like everybody backed off on you. And they didn't know how to tell me, so they had my grandfather tell me. So I was like, well, it's over. I was like, I ain't, I ain't got nothing else to live for. It's like, I'm just going to be here and – Whatever happens, happens. I just, it was hell. It really was hell. How did you overcome it? I'm a bit stubborn, and if you poke me enough, I'm going to find something to do just so you quit yelling at me. And at that age, I was 17, I was about 17 years old. I was just headstrong about anything. I was like, you're going to do this. You're going to do that. And my grandfather was like, every day, son, you need to get up. Son, you need to get up. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to do something. And me being the person I am, I always pick the hardest thing there is and happen to be fighting. So I was like, hey, guess what I did? I fought. I'm doing MMA. They're like, the hell is MMA? It's, like, it's fighting. It's cage fighting. It's like, that's not smart, son. My, my grandfather just, he just unloaded on me. My grandmother was like, all right. So it was weird. Like the men in my family were like, you should not fight. And the women in my family are like, you should totally do that. Like, that is exactly wow. what you like to do. So oh, it was wow. weird. That's that's crazy. <laughs> it's it's funny. It's changed now, though. Like, my dad and my grandfather are totally on board with it. Like, my first pro fight, my mom flew in from Texas, and she was all about it. Like, she told everybody. She's like, I'm leaving. My son's fighting. Don't talk to me, blah, blah, blah. She comes up there. I see her. She's happy. I see my dad. My dad is like a nervous wreck. I was like, what the hell's wrong with you, dude? He's like, I don't think I could do it. I say, you'd be all right. My mom's like, he'd be okay. And, like, I start fighting, and my mom is like, I hear my coaches, right? And I think I know I took this dude down. And I look up, and my mom is, like, literally at the cage. She started from, like, the back wall, and she's all the way up there. And I can hear her screaming. I'm like, why is she yeah, so she's came to she's came to one of my fights. My dad comes to a lot of them. He supports me into it now. Uh, my grandfather absolutely refuses. Like he'll he'll watch videos and stuff, but he won't come watch it live. My grandmother, she'll bring her, she'll bring my aunts and stuff, and they'll come up there and they'll make it a party that they like it. So 
it's a it's a weird experience. It really is weird from being told like you shouldn't do that to like everybody's like, when's your next one? It's like, <laughs> all right. So. That's a phenomenal story, man. Family is everything. Family is everything. Paul has a family. Me personally, I'm solo dolo, but I love my family back home. I remember my mom only saw me wrestle once in her whole life. And I remember it was um it was senior night. It was the only time I ever wrestled in my high school because we barely had tournaments there. It was senior night. I snuck them in through the back because I know they didn't have money to pay for the admissions. So I snuck them yeah. in through the back. And like I was like, the only way nobody's gonna say something about this is if I make sure I steal the show. And I came in there and like me being a me being like a very like halfway in, halfway out wrestling my entire career, I was thinking like there were things I was really unfocused on and really had a lot of distractions. And it was all my fault. But, like, when I really got focused and dialed in, you really saw greatness. And I remember just going into that match. And I didn't pin him because I wanted to save it a moment. I remember just dominating somebody for three rounds. It wasn't even close. And I didn't tech him. I made, it was 11-0. I made sure not to do him. I was thinking about letting him up, but I was like, nah, this is my moment. And, like, family is everything, man. So how does it feel mm-hmm. just having a family of your own while having people and it's fighting? Like, how does the family mix when it comes to fighting? Uh, family blends really well with it. You know, my family supports other my other teammates. So if uh you know if I have a teammate fighting my family like, oh, okay, well let's know. We'll go buy a ticket. We'll go see. Like they'll actually make it happen. Uh my wife and my kids, they train too. So my right. wife, she does jujitsu. You know, she's not trying to compete or anything. But she does it to, you know, stay in shape and stuff like that. My boys do it because boys need to learn to defend themselves and they need to let go of that energy. So we do that and they rock, They went to the fights with me last night because they wanted to see a couple of our teammates fight. So it's a big, big old family ordeal. So it's one of the things if you invest into it, you know, your family grows and you bring in the people that want to see you succeed and they'll naturally gravitate to the others. So it's a beautiful thing. Nice, man. I love to hear it. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> sorry. I'm going to ask you this question. It's kind of a double-headed question. Who's your favorite fighter of all time? And who do you think is just the GOAT in the UFC world? Not UFC, in the MMA world. This it can be anyone. My favorite fighter. Say now that's tough. I don't know if I really have one anymore. Cause they they keep they keep messing up. <laughs> I would say currently my favorite one right now has to be uh Usman. He's because he's yeah he lost but at the same time that dude's mindset is what draws me to him say oh that dude that dude's he's he's that dude uh, the goat for me is Demetrius Johnson and I don't understand why people sleep on him and he's actually he actually is like my if it was ever a guy who was like my top fighter it's definitely him because of how like laid back he is and how like much of he does the exact same things I like to do. Likes playing video games. He likes goofing off, being around his family, stuff like that. You know, it's like you could totally relate to this person. But he's like a just a ridiculously good fighter. You know, it's, I hate that people sleep on him as they go. It's like, not as, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Nice. That's why I actually just did an interview with him on Ariel Hawani. He's actually coming up on his last fight. I'm just saying, yeah. I, to like, yo, how can you do that for that long? That dude, he does it smart though. Like he he trains very very smart. He does everything very intelligently, you know. And once you once you find your groove, man, that's all it is. And he also you gotta think he doesn't really cut weight either. 
So he's naturally walking around at that weight. He's naturally walking around like what 40, 140 something. Yeah. And all he has to do is like a hard diet and he's on weight. So that's fine. I mean, yeah, he's definitely really slept on because you don't get that answer a lot, but he definitely has the resume and the credentials to claim the GOAT status. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just sucks that everybody hates on him. It's like, bro, don't hate on Don't hate on the GOAT. Like, he's 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 that dude. Leave him alone. Yeah, yeah he's, he's and he's super chill, like you said. Like, how can he hate on someone who's just super chill? Mm-hmm. A lot of people do it, though, because they, they want that, uh, they want what is it? They want that character. They want that gimmick. That's what they want. Because, you know, Connor did it for everybody. So now everybody's looking for that. So like these casual fans are looking for that gimmick. They're looking for that loud mouth and they're looking for that guy. It's like either he's going to get me or he's going to be like, make me like, man, I really want to see him lose. I mean, it's genius, but at the same time, it hurts everybody else involved. So, um, I mean, see, Kev, you have any questions for him? Bro, this has been an awesome conversation, man. Just chilling, vibing. My dog is real down to earth, real cool people, man. We appreciate you, man. This has been a fun convo, man. Yeah, man. Appreciate you guys having me on here. Oh, Definitely, no, bro. Is it cool if we take a pick for the for the um, for the for the fans? Yeah, go ahead. Let's get it. Ready? Let's get it, y'all. And go follow him on Twitter, One Eye Dragon. One is, is the one is a zero, right? The one is a it's number one, and I Dragon. Everything else is spelled out, so just the number one, and then I Dragon. One Eye Dragon then, on Twitter. Yeah, and then Instagram is Dre Miley, so D R E M I L E Y M M A one three five, I believe. Go give him a follow and stay tuned because he just signed a Bellator. He heard his story. All the, Everything's overcame. He's ready for a fight. He's calling people out. Hopefully, we'll yeah. see him in Chicago. But if not, just keep an eye yeah. out. He's going to be in Bellator real soon. Hell yeah. yeah hopefully. Yeah. Out. Hopefully, James Gallagher will fight me. So, there we go. <laughs> there we go. No. He don't like me. He called me a creep and a dweeb, so I'm definitely going to poke him more and more now. <laughs> oh, I saw on the Twitter interaction. I did I did see that. Yeah, he's, he made it a point to call me a dweeb. I was like, I'm calling you out, bro. You're a fighter. This is exactly how this works. You're going to fight somebody that you've already fought before, so it's not my fault you suck, but whatever. <laughs> nah, see, it comes natural. See I'm, I know I'm excited to see you fight just because everything I learned about your shit talking and the way you roll, I know I'm already a fan, so I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I got to keep, sometimes I got to get, I got to be careful what, what I say because I can get carried away. So that's what shit talking does to you. It gets you carried away and then you're like, oh, oh shit, I went too far. <laughs> I have done it before. I have done it. I've made memes of my opponent before, so Ooh. yeah, I did that. I hey, went nice, too far. So when I fought nice Cody, because <laughs> yeah, because like first time I was I was supposed to fight Cody, but he like hurt himself. Like this is the first time me and Cody Durden fought, and he was trying to find a way to get out of it, I guess. And he was like, he hurt his rib, and everybody around me is like, he pulled out of the fight. So you might want to find a way to sell this fight 
make him want to fight you. And I was like, okay. And I was like, all right, what can I do? And next See, thing I, I was like, memes. And I just memed the shit out of him for like months. And I don't mean like a meme like every now and again, but like this was like a blast of memes. Like if this was like an email, he would get like an email like blast of memes and stuff. I'm being attacked right now. <laughs> Honestly, that's why I fuck with people that like to talk shit because it's just, it's, especially when it's natural. The the gimmick stuff is kind of eh, but when it's natural like that, can't but. Mm-hmm. Fun fact yeah. about my co-host Paul, right? He's the most like nonchalant. Like you ever heard the stories about Larry Bird? How he just kind of whispers in your ear type shit. He's the most, we used to call him the most slept on dude at our school because he's just like, just a normal white boy most people would look like. But he's really like half Spanish and he hangs out with us all day. So like, we'll be at the basketball courts and we'll be talking, we'll be on, and then we'll be playing foot, playing basketball. And then I might get picked before him if they don't know who he is. They don't know I absolutely suck. But he on the other hand, <laughs> he's going to be dropping threes. He's going to be getting to the lane. He's going to be giving the passes. And then afterwards, the whole time he's going to be like, should have picked me up. And everybody's looking at me like, I didn't you tell me he was like that. And then it would turn into <laughs> and then sometimes it would turn into like us like playing around. We might go throw hands. We used to slap box all the time. And it'd be like, it'd be like, bruh, tell the white boy to move. And then and if I'll be, I'm, and then I'll start gassing it up instigating, like, dang, you just gonna let the white boy try you like that? That's crazy. And next thing you know, we get the slap box and now he gets pieced up. And it's, <laughs> I'm over here just I'm over here just recording like, like this. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you need people like that, man. That's messed <laughs> up. That's so messed up. It comes with the territory. <laughs> got people you- like that. Yeah, I got people like that at the gym. Like, there's a lot of people that, that are trash talk, and then there's some people that have those, like, one-liners, and then, like, they'll put a one-liner on you so good that you can't, like, come back on it. It's like, damn. Like, he's been- – Damn, he really hit it. And then he walks off. It's like, no, nope, you can't chase it. You can't. Just got to let it die. <laughs> got to take that out sometimes. <laughs> yeah, just got to take it. I was like, yeah, this shit happens. And it be coming from, like, random dudes, too. And it's just like, well, okay, all right. Hell yeah, man. That's good life, man. But, Paul, we wrapping it up, man? Yeah. It, uh, I appreciate you coming on. Everyone go give him a follow. Stay tuned for him on Bellator. Uh shit. Where where was your last fight, Jesse Bozzi? Where you main event it? Yeah. yeah so it come, was there in Detroit. Detroit Motor City cage fights twelve. He got um he coming off of coming off two wins right now, main eventing. So I mean, he loves to talk some shit. You can't beat him, man. He's a cool guy, down to earth. Please give my dog a follow. And yo. There's an 80% chance the second that announcement drops for you to fight it, we're going to be in attendance. Because, like, I love skipping class for good reasons. <laughs> I would definitely let you know. Definitely do it. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, man. We're going to pray for you, man. We're going to hope for the best for you, man. You and your entire family. I appreciate it, man. Thank you guys for having me on here. Hell yeah, man. But if y'all didn't know, we're going to let you know again, man. This has been the Totally Blitz Podcast, man. I'm your boy, Kev Walker, boy, boy. We in this bitch with Paul Pickham winning concert. And you better have nothing but the utmost respect for my dog, Dre, the one-eyed dragon, Miley, man. And we going to catch you on the next one. But if you didn't know, I don't mind telling you and the person right behind you again that you's a bitch.